What's up, bitches? <laughs> this is Morgan. What's up, bitches? This is Sierra. And this is Bitches and Murders. <laughs> Sorry, I was like dying because I hit record and I like counted it down and everything. And I thought you were going to go. And then there was just like dead air. And I was like, Bueller? And then you're just like, what's up, bitches? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> my brain is a chaotic. <laughs> it's a chaotic place right now. We're a little all over the place. I'm not going to front with you. Oh so we'll we'll see how this goes. We are absolutely <laughs> going to need to buckle in. I'm going to need everyone to fasten their seatbelts right now. Please keep your hands and feet in the ride at all times. Because <laughs> uh, you're not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. Nobody's ready for this. I am ready for my Qdoba to come. Uh, but that's about the only thing that I'm ready for at this point. Alright, well, buckle up. Keep your hands and feet in the vehicle at all times. Please secure any loose objects. And if you have a child, why are you here? This is not a child-friendly show. Get away! Your child should not be listening. And if you are here with a child, squirrel, put your kid to bed. It's it's past their bedtime. I can already tell you that. I don't uh, care if it's 3pm. It's past their bedtime. <laughs> She's gonna be so mad when she hears that. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today? We are talking about what uh, is your vocal cadence right now? I don't know. Is it bad? <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you sound like a WWE announcer? Like, oh god, that's or- the last fucking thing I want to sound like. Okay, anyways, uh, we are not doing that anymore. Uh, <laughs> Today we are talking about Robert Andrew Berdella Jr. That is a name. So uh, he was also known as the Kansas City Butcher. Oh, we love somebody who has Butcher in their name. That always works out well also, for everybody. Before we get into this, have you ever seen the movie The Collector? I have. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was based on him. Oh, man. Yeah. Yup. Oh, why are you going to do this to me? so uh which i think hold on let me check again i'm pretty sure it was oh never mind hold on i got that backwards <laughs> it was not based on him he was based on it he fucking copycatted a movie yep yep we'll get we'll get more into that later but wow, i was like I wait you. a second i switched my things mm-hmm. okay so Robert, Bob, Bobby, Bobbert, <laughs> Bobbert. <laughs> uh, I might just call him Bobbert throughout this whole thing. Honestly, I feel like when we get into it, you'll understand that he does not really deserve respect. To be quite honest, he's kind of a shitbag. We should write him a letter and be like, "Do you like the name Bobbert? No, good. That's the only thing we're referring to you from on." <laughs> So, uh, Bobbert was born January 31st of 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. So, Ew. not too far from here, actually. Strike one. He's from Ohio. I know. It's the worst state in the union, and I will live and die by this. Sorry, babe. <laughs> um, so, he was the first of two sons born to Robert Andrew Berdella Sr. 
um, who was a die setter for the Ford Motor Company. Those became one word for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And then his mother's name was Mary Louise Berdella. So they were very religious. Um, His dad was like a Roman Catholic, like an Italian Roman Catholic. So like Mm. the real Roman Catholics. Strike two. Yep. They were like the type of family who always went to mass like multiple times a week. Like the sons were in like religious school, Sunday school, you know. I said religious school and I was I like, there's a word for that. School? Catholic school? No, they were like, not only like, did they go to school, like school, like it wasn't like a high school that they went to that happened to be Catholic. Like they specifically went to classes at the church about Catholicism. Is that I don't know what that's called. Like vacation Bible study or like? Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a Bible study, but like just a really intense Bible study because, you know. Catholics. Yeah, that's fair. One of my sidebar, um, one of my friends growing up uh wasn't allowed to hang so her family was Mormon. Um, and she wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody who was Catholic because her parents said, and I quote, Catholicism is just witchcraft with extra steps. I love that. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> that makes me like Catholicism a little bit more. So that was my little sidebar about Catholicism anyway. Continue. But I get it. There's a lot of like, you know, blood drinking and skin eating. And I, I mean, that sounds kind of witchy like, to me. A lot of Catholicism's practices are like bastardized pagan practices because they're trying to make it like more appealing to the pagan population. Right. Um, so like, I mean, it's honestly not that far off. So like, they're not wrong. I just feel like they're not right. <laughs> Like, that feels like such a gray area. But anyway, before anybody starts, like, leaving us negative reviews about how we're anti-Semitic. Well, it wouldn't be anti-Semitic. That's Jewish. I suck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know what anti-Catholicism would be, to be honest. There's probably a word for it, I would think. But I don't... The population? Anyway. (laughs) Right. I was like, I don't know what that word is. It probably exists, though. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so as a child, um, Bobbert was very smart. He was a very smart child. Uh, but like most very smart children, he didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, he had like a really hard time fitting in. Like he almost pretty much like never left his house. Hmm. Um, he also, unfortunately for uh, Mr. Bobbert here, he had a severe speech impediment. Oh, no. So and he... Got- he- was severely nearsighted so he also had big old coke bottle glasses on top of the speech impediment he got bullied relentlessly yup yup and you know what he even i I actually like at this point i actually kind of feel bad for him because on top of all that other shit he couldn't be athletic at all uh pretty much because he was diagnosed with high blood pressure like as a small child which he had to take, like, a bunch of different medications for. Well, strike three, you're a serial killer. Yeah, he never he never really had a chance. I'm not going to lie to you. And it sucked because, so his younger brother, Daniel, who was, like, seven years younger than him, was, like, super good at sports. Like, even from, like, a very young age. Oh. Like, he was super athletic, very much, you know, like, the manly man. 
Um, oh, strike four. Yeah. You're definitely a serial killer. Yeah. So um, if you can't tell uh, which one his dad liked more, uh, it wasn't him. No. <laughs> I can't even imagine how many times he heard, why can't you be more like your brother? Yep. And then on top of that, uh, their dad would beat them emotionally abuse them like he liked to hit them with a leather strap so we also sprinkled in some nice old abuse in there Mm -hmm. strike five (laughs) um so surprisingly despite all of this um he actually did super well in school like he you know like his grades were really good but his school behavior and stuff was like not the best uh he was like super withdrawn he was constantly getting bullied um teachers didn't even really like him which is kind of mean i think uh because it really sounds like his teachers just didn't like him because he was like really quiet but it's just like damn like give the kid a break like anyone would be fucking quiet when they have that much shit against them like fuck you yeah seriously poor kid um so it's like it couldn't get any harder for him um by the time he hit puberty he realized that he was definitely gay oh Um, no which i mean mean, obviously nothing wrong with being gay yeah he just like this was not really the time period where being gay was okay because uh, you have to think, I mean, he was born in 1949. Yeah. That so, was... like, he's hitting puberty, like, literally, like, 61, 62. Yeah. Like, not... Not... Not, not the time. time. For the LGBT community. No. Uh, so, he tried to keep this secret, of course, for, like, several years. And it mm-hmm. took him, like, a while to be able to be, like, open about this. Mm, that's completely valid okay so by the time he hit 14 15 ish he actually started to get a little bit like more self-confident like he had kind of branched into some new hobbies he had started to cook he was starting to do art um and he was feeling you know really confident about those things Mm -hmm. um this didn't always like manifest in the best way though because he started to be kind of like rude and condescending to people and like women especially oh good yeah so not everybody was super crazy about it um so christmas day of 1965 um the whole family went to canton ohio um to visit some of their relatives um unfortunately that night his dad had a heart attack and died at the age of 39 i mean his dad was abusive though right so is that really like the worst thing to ever happen to them yeah, no, definitely not uh you know, not the worst thing in the world. Um but he was so all of the family went except for our man Bobbert. Um and they didn't tell him that his father died. Wait, what? Until like 2 days later. Uh okay. when they finally like reconnected. Um, um so that uh, went over obviously well. That was um, like not the appropriate choice to make, but okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it. 
Um, but also I do understand that this was like the sixties, so it might have just not been that easy to get in like contact with him. Because it's not like they had cell phones or anything. You know what I mean? I mean, but they had landlines. But he was also traveling. So I'm not sure if he would have, like, been in a place where they would have had the phone number to. But still. Still weird. Still. Um. So after this, he... He so he originally got like super into religion after his father passed. Like he kind of used that as a way to cope. Okay. Um. But then he started re- like researching a bunch of religions, like kind of just like religion in general. And after that, he got really like cynical about it all and like stopped kind of really fucking with any religion at all. Okay, that's a normal path to take. Like that's I'm not gonna fault him for that. Yeah, that's that's pretty standard, I feel like, especially as someone who was raised in such a religious household. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll let that one slide. So, <clears throat> also in 1965 is when Bobbert saw the collector. Who the Oh, right. The old school, <laughs> the original collector. There's there's also a remake that's much more mo- well, I mean honestly it's still probably like 15 years old at this point, but like I, it's newer. I completely forgot we had that conversation about that movie and I was like, who the fuck is the collector? Is that like a goddamn supervillain? It is a film adaptation of the John Fox novel of the same or John Fowles novel of the same name. Yeah. No, I'm I'm back on track. I just So for people for who don't know um the whole very basic plot of this movie is that this dude like stalks this girl he abducts her he holds her captive in his basement um and then she ends up like getting sick and dying even though he like tries really hard to keep her alive um so Berdella said that this was like a really like turning point for him like this movie really had like a big big impact on him for some fucking reason (laughs) um so anyways so after his dad died like pretty soon after his dad died his mom got remarried um he was not a fan of this obviously he also thought it was really sketchy that it was so soon. Like, he thought it was, like, betraying his dad. Um, so he got even more, like, quiet and withdrawn. And then he just kind of, like, would just do stuff, like, on his own. Like, he pretty much just kind of was always alone because he didn't really have friends. And, like, at that point, he wasn't really fucking with his family either. Gotcha. So he would just kind of, like paint by himself he liked to like collect coins and stamps and then he also would write a lot to foreign pen pals like he had a bunch of pen pals in like vietnam and like burma and like a bunch of random foreign countries i forgot about pen pals can we bring that back i know it's such a cute idea too and he said that they would send him like stamps or they would send him pictures and like that got him really interested in like you know, other cultures like art and antiques and stuff like that. And he actually got so into it that he started collecting a bunch of stuff. And by 1982, he actually opened his own antique business. Oh, okay. So he's like a mildly productive member of society. Yeah, for now. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I feel like that's not going to 
stay the case. But uh, like, I feel like if he had just stayed here and this is where the story ended, like that would have been fine. Oh no, it gets it gets real weird and then it gets real bad. Well, yeah, uh, we're talking about it, so you know, nothing yeah. good's gonna happen. And I'm talking about it, so you yeah. know, there's gotta <laughs> be some means. fucking weird happening. Extra fucked. Um. So. 1967, he graduates from Cuyahoga Falls High School. Um, He was, you know, like I said before, like great grades, did a really good job. Um, So he ends up. He started an antique business while he was in high school? No, no, no. He doesn't start until 1982. So it's like in the future. I just didn't want to forget to mention it later. I got so confused for a second there and I was like, God damn. No, we're only in 67 now. So that's, that's a good ways away. We're back on track. We're good. I'm fine. So he graduates. Um, he relocates to Kansas City um, and goes to the Kansas City Art Institute. And his whole kind of like goal with this is like eventually he wanted to be like a college professor of art. Mm-hmm. So his first year there, he did a really good job. He was really like people considered him really talented. They thought he paid attention well. Um, like he did you know, got good grades. Um, his second year though, like this slipped significantly. He got really political and he mm-hmm. got like super like aggressively anti-authoritarian. Um, he also started like he started kind of running running with the wrong people. Jesus. Um <laughs> but they got him into drugs and he started oh. like he started dealing like actually decently pretty heavily on top of like picking up an alcoholism addiction on top of all that. Oh, good. That's um, not a well-adjusted member of society. Um, During this time period as well, he also got caught on two. Well, this is what he did in front of people willingly openly in front of people so who knows what the fuck he was doing behind closed doors let me just preface this i don't appreciate that that's how you phrased that but continue um so the first instance of uh documented animal torture um he decapitated a duck just straight in front of like a bunch of people in his class why a duck I don't fucking know. They were just outside, and he literally snatched it up and cut its head off. What the shit? Um, The second time, he was caught experimenting with administering sedatives and tranquilizers to a dog. I hate that. Um, It it gets worse. Uh, so in nine, at the age of 19, around the same time period, he is arrested for attempting to sell meth to an undercover police officer. (laughs) You know, as one does, just sells meth. Dumbass. Um, so he ends up getting, um, released, actually, because he pays for his bond, which I don't know how the fuck he paid for this bond, because it was $3,000, but, like, the, like, the equivalency to, like, now is, like, $25,000. Jesus. 
so I'm like, where the fuck did you get that money? Yeah, seriously. Um, but he ended up, even though he bonded out for all of that fucking money, he ends up pleading guilty. <laughs> and he gets a five-year suspended sentence. So I get it. Like, if you're going to get a suspended sentence, then, like, I would probably plead guilty as well. So it's better than, like, actual jail time. Yeah. Um. So after this, literally one month later, he gets arrested again. With two other people this time um, for possession of marijuana and LSD. Oh, they were having a party. Right. Uh, he could not post bond this time, probably because literally all of his money is gone. Well, yeah. And he ends up spending five days in jail, but they ended up actually dropping the charges on him and the two other people because there was like a lack of evidence. Uh, so nothing like he didn't actually have to like serve any time for it or anything like that besides like the five days in jail. Okay. So, fast forward to 1969. He... Nice. (laughs) I'm 12. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, He ends up quitting uh, the Kansas City Art Institute um, because he got extremely harsh criticism from his college professors and administrators because for one of his art assignments... In front of everyone, he killed and then cooked a duck. (laughs) What? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Which, like, okay, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against people who raise ducks and then consume ducks. Like, obviously, you know, that shit happens places. Like, you have to kill them and pluck them and everything to be able to eat them. I understand that. But it's a little bit different to just do that in a college classroom uh, when nobody is expecting that or wanting that. <laughs> yeah, that um, is an interesting choice. That's okay. So I, for the most part, will never insult somebody's artwork because art is personal and it tells your own story. However, slaughtering and cooking a duck is not art or telling a story. That's like culinary (laughs) right like it doesn't say anything he decided to not leave kansas city though um and so that september he ends up moving to 4315 charlotte street in the hyde park district so are you just saying charlotte like an a goober or is it like how did i say it charlotte oh that's how we that's how we say it in Michigan. It's Did you not know that? Charlotte. Well, see, but it changes, I feel like. Because, like, if I'm talking about, like, Charlotte, North Carolina, then it's Charlotte. But if I'm talking about Charlotte, that's, like, the city that's, like, 20 minutes away from here, then it's it's Charlotte. <laughs> but anyways, sorry, I didn't realize I got so Midwestern with it. <laughs> Uh, side note, Drew and I got in a joking fight the other day about how Lake Orion is pronounced. It's Lake Orion. Yeah, he... How else is there to pronounce it? Lake Orion. No. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. We, like, were literally Mm -mm. yelling at each other about it. He was like, spell Lake Orion. And I was like, O-R-I-O-N. Yeah. Whatever. And he was like, now spell Orion. And I was like, 
O R I O N. It doesn't matter. They're just pronounced differently. <laughs> it's like read and read. It's different. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte. It's different. Uh, it just felt like we needed a little palate cleanser. So there, there was that oh, little story yeah, for you. <laughs> it just gets worse from here. Uh. Okay, so there was our comedic break. <laughs> Continue. So at this point, uh, he's like open about being gay, just okay. for context. Like he's been open for like several years at this point, kind of like when he went off to college, like, you know, he okay. he became open about it. So living his best life. Yeah, you know, good on you for owning your shit. Um, so when he, you know, moved over, um, he started spending a bunch of time with male prostitutes, drug addicts like criminals of all kind of shapes and sorts um feels like a choice and he did this kind of like on purpose he would make friends with them and then like try to help them like try to help them like get over their addiction or like get out of a criminal lifestyle Mm -hmm. um though he was always like adamant like that he was not like sleeping with them like, he wasn't becoming friends with them so he could, like, take advantage of them sexually. Like, he genuinely wanted to, like, help people. Okay. So, like, and he would, he was, like, open about this. Like, all of his neighbors knew about it. And he would even, like, tell that. Because, like, a lot of the people he was associating with were younger. Because they're, mm-hmm. like, runaways. Like, homeless teens. Like, shit like that. Um, And he would say that he felt like a foster parent to them. um, You know. And, but, like, it was a little sus because, like, by the early 1980s, like, pretty much none of his, like, friends his age would fuck with him anymore. Oh, shit. And I don't really have, like, a reason for that, but, like, mm, I feel like we can kind of guess the reason for that. Yeah, I, there there might be a couple of reasons that come to mind. And then, like, it got even worse with, like, these youths, like, after that, because, like, once he got cut off from pretty much, like, all of his normal friends, like, he pretty much was, like, solely relying on these people, like, for companionship. Did you just call them fucking youths? What are you saying? I did call them youths. (laughs) The youths. (laughs) Hey, okay, I have not had caffeine, all right? (laughs) All right. Anyway, uh, and then he started getting really mad at the youths. Uh, basically, because like, so they kind of just became like his sole friends, right? Like, because none of his friends would fuck with him. And then like, he's also trying to help like these fucking drug addicted teenagers to change. And like, you know, unfortunately, that's not something a lot of them were like willing to do or were like able to do. Um, and he would like started getting like more and more upset at them for like not just like changing and magically becoming like what he considered to be like a, a good human or a, a better human. Yeah, I don't know what he expected. I mean, have you ever tried to get a teenager to not do something shitty because it doesn't fucking work? Yeah, exactly. I don't know how the fuck he ever thought that plan was about to. Because also, too, like you just have to look at the fact that like most of them are homeless. Like they they ran away from home. They don't have much to like live for and shit. Like at this moment, mm-hmm. so it's like, of course they're gonna cope by like, 
using substances and stuff. And it's not like they have like a stable home or like a better coping mechanism to deal with that at the moment. So it's like, obviously it's probably not really going to change for them right now. Like, but whatever, I digress. (laughs) Um, He also around this time started having sexual relationships with many of them. Um, Um, Hate it. Like a whole ass adult. Mm hmm. And aren't mm-hmm. they like whole ass whole ass kids? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate that. And he would also start doing things to like control them. Like he would let them like live in his house rent free, or he would like loan them money so they would like owe him something. His neighbors like didn't hate him, honestly. Like they like they thought he was really like flamboyant, but they thought he was like super helpful. Like, he was really, like, you know, they thought he was really morally sound. Obviously, they didn't know he was sleeping with minors. Like, they thought he was just helping them. So, like, they were kind of like, well, his house looks like shit, and he doesn't keep up his yard or anything, and sometimes he can be a little bit condescending, but, like, he seems pretty chill. Like, overall, (laughs) they think he's pretty chill. I feel like getting to his neighbors to like him was the biggest con out of this whole thing so far. (laughs) Honestly, though. (laughs) Honestly. Um, so he even in the late 70s, he joins um, the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. That is just a mouthful. The neighborhood Crime Watch. Yeah, it's literally a, a, the Neighborhood Watch. Like just. Um, and then he even like gets promoted to be the chairman in the early 1980s. So, you know, he was super, super into this. Um, he remained active until the m- mid 1980s. And then he ended up actually, like, giving up his position and kind of taking a step back from it. Oh. What changed? And we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll um, get there. Okay. <laughs> Did he start committing crime and he didn't feel yep, we'll get there about being on the committee? So he's... He I just think he didn't have time, to be honest. Fair. Um, he even would do, like fundraising events um he was even on like tv for it um like the local like tv stations and stuff for like the fundraisers but he also stopped doing this around the mid-1980s as we will get into later at the same time as like all this is going on he's been working as a short order cook uh in a couple of different restaurants he kind of bounced around a little bit Mm -hmm. um mostly to pay off his fucking lawyer fees from getting arrested (laughs) multiple times um, he also, like I said, opened up his antique business. Um, it started originally, he was doing it kind of like out of his house. I actually got the whole business like up and flourishing like 1981, 1982-ish. Okay. But in, in like in every job too, like he really kind of like knocks it out of the park. Like he really, you can tell he's really trying. Like with the Neighborhood Watch, like he got promoted to chairman like when he was working as a cook like he got um he was part of like the chef's association he he started a training program at like a local community college to like train new chefs he like worked at really like renowned restaurants too like like high-end restaurants yeah that all sounds fine and dandy but i know you're about to fuck my day up so just hit me with it Oh, we're not there yet. We're oh not there yet. <laughs> so, um, like I said, he started opening his 
his business. He signed the contracts in 1981, um, but he opened it in 1982. Um, okay. And he started by renting a booth at the Westport Flea Market. And he named it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. Really? Yep. Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. Mm-hmm. I just like that makes me think of the opening scene from like the OG Aladdin. Oh god. Literally though. It's like literally that. <laughs> just like, like that's what little... you should expect. <laughs> just like combination hookah and coffee maker will not break it mm-hmm. broke <laughs> like, um that's what so i'm picturing it's literally that he sold like primitive art jewelry different antiques um he actually did pretty well but it wasn't like quite enough to cover like all of his expenses um so he ended up having to either like either just straight up take a loss on things or he started stealing shit to sell at his booth so he wouldn't have, like, the, you know, the additional cost of, like, having to buy the items. He started, like, just stealing shit to sell. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, he also, from time to time, would, like, get a roommate for a while, like, take kind of take people in for a little bit. So, like, because he took in some of the kids, like, for free, but he also took in some, like, actual people who, like, paid him as well. Yeah. Um, so he started becoming friends with a guy who ran the booth like next to him named Paul Howell. Um, so through Paul Howell, he met Paul Howell's younger son, Jerry. Uh, so Jerry and his friends were not very nice to Bobbert. They Mm -hmm. made fun of him all the time for being gay. Um, they were just really, really shitty to him. Uh, which ended up being kind of funny, sort of funny, uh, because according to him, according to Bobbert, later on, Jerry ended up confiding in him that him and his friends were actually working as male prostitutes to make money. So it's like, feels a little bit like projection. Love it. Um, so... By the early 1980s, Paul ended up actually moving his flea market to, like, an actual, like, real store. Um, And then they didn't really stay friends too much after that. Like... Strangely enough. Like, Bobber ended up talking to, like, Jerry a couple of times. And they actually ended up getting into, like, a couple of, like, heated arguments. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, they kind of petered off. And then, you know... I think it was just he was, I don't know, maybe aging out because by 1984, Jerry was like 19. So when he met, they met, he was more like 17-ish. Now that we're into 1984, since I mentioned 1984, perfect segue to July 5th of 1984. What happened on July 5th? Well, uh, Bobbert kills his first victim. Oh. Can you guess who it is? Um one of one of the kids. Mm-hmm. It's someone we talked about. Uh no. Is it's it good seventh? old Jerry. No, not Jerry. It's Jerry. Sad. Um, he like I said, they had kind of like 
disconnected for a while. Um, and they very briefly like reconnected in 1984. And he told... So they made this agreement where uh, he was going to give Jerry a ride to this dancing contest in like a different city. Okay. Um, but instead, he ends up abducting him. Um, he gave him alcohol, Valium, and Ace Promazine. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he didn't do great on the dosages, though, because he had to dose him in the car and at his house before he could finally get him to, like, like really, like, go unconscious. That's impressive that he fucked that up, because, like, so, let me, let me tell y'all about Ace Promazine. Ace Promazine is a sedative that we use in veterinary medicine. It is hella fucking potent. And I do mean hella fucking potent. Um, like the bottles that they gave um, when I was like working with horses, they literally told us not to poke ourselves, like not to accidentally poke ourselves with the needle after we drew up the ace. Cause like it was so concentrated that if you accidentally poked yourself with a needle that had ace in it, you were going to go into respiratory and distress and die before somebody could even call 911. Wow, that's fucking horrifying. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and like we use it in dogs too. And like it's literally a whisper of eight. Like I have dosed like German shepherds, like big German shepherds with like 0.1 of ace. That's great. Yeah. Like that gives me a definitely a new perspective on this. What the fuck? Why was he even playing with that shit? Fucking whisper of ace. Is all he must need. have been just as nervous about it. Yeah, like <laughs> dosing him like so small. Like it, it's like Ace does not fuck around. So he dosed him twice, and <clears throat> then he finally gets him unconscious. He ties him to his bed, mm-hmm. and then he deals him like a like a heavy tranquilizer with like a needle, like injects a heavy tranquilizer. Oh, okay, so that's. That's how he got away with the double dosing the ace is that it was oral and not IV. Yes. Yep. I was like, yep, the was. IV ace will fuck your day up. Yeah, but, no, it had to have been oral because he yeah. didn't actually inject him until it was like he was in the bed. Okay, that makes way more sense because I was like, how is this man still conscious, let alone alive? So okay. it gets really yeah. bad really fast. Uh, I don't doubt it. I just wanted to I just wanted to talk about Ace. Do we have to talk about murder? <laughs> just talk about drugs. Do you want to know how long he was tied to the bed for? 72 hours. Eh, 28. Oh. Not that crazy. But still a lot. A lot to be tied to a fucking bed. Too many hours. <laughs> um during this, you know, imprisonment of mm-hmm. sorts. Um, he was repeatedly drugged, tortured, raped with, uh, more than just Bobbert, um, with stuff. Oh. Um, during which this time he, you know, begged for his life, you know, didn't under, like, kept asking why this was happening to him. Um, but... Uh, Bobber ended up like gagging him 
And Mm -hmm. he either, it's a little unclear what actually was the cause of death. He either like asphyxiated on his own vomit or like the combination of like the gag and the medications like might've been too much for him to like actually be able to breathe. Like he wasn't getting in enough oxygen into his system. I mean, either way, that's a fucking horrific way to go. Yeah, it really is. And he said that, so Bobbert said later on that he did try to, you know, give him CPR, but that it didn't work, obviously. Strangely um, enough, when you give a respiratory depressant and then you don't have the equipment to do anything about it, your CPR is not going to fucking work. Oh, you're really going to hate this next part, and I'm so sorry. It's been a while since I fucked your day up like this, but, like, I'm sorry. Um. Anyways, so the CPR didn't work, obviously. Um. So he drags Jerry's body to the basement. He suspends his body above a large cooking pot. And then he slices um, his inner level. His inner elbows and his jugular. Oh, I hate that. To completely drain him of blood. Um, the next day, he dismembers his body with a chainsaw and boning knives, and then wraps each section in like newspaper and puts them in trash bags. And then he put the trash bags out for the people, the the garbage people, to come. And take to the landfill. I, th- I feel like... Please tell me that didn't work. It did. Ugh. Yeah. Yep, it did. He was questioned by police, obviously, because he was the last known person to be with him. Um, he told them that, you know, he drove them to Miriam, which was the other town. And that, you know, he dropped him off and didn't hear from him since. Later on, they find out that he had a detailed log of all of these murders, including every single act of sexual, physical, mental torture, everything that he did, he wrote down. Mm. So that's how we know exactly, like, what happened with all of these. Like, even, like, he would even write down, like, what they said. Like, that's how we know that, like, Jerry was pleading for his life, like, asking for him to stop, not understanding what was going on, because he wrote that down. And then he would literally write his own replies. Like, he would be like, Jerry asked for his life. I ignored it. Or, like, Jerry asked why I was doing this, and I made fun of him. Like. Jesus Christ. Um. And then he was, like, die hard though, for some reason, like, in the book and to police, that he didn't do this for his enjoyment, but what he der- termed his physical and mental satisfaction. He tried to pretend like he could add this to, like, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, it was something he needed to be complete as a person. Like he didn't do it because it was fun or because he enjoyed it. It's because he physically needed it to like survive. Are you fucking kidding me? I wish I was fucking kidding you. Ugh. Yeah, he's a fuck. 
dude. A whole fuck. Like, I hate this man a lot. Yeah, seriously. What in the actual fuck? So this, uh, that that was the first murder, uh, but that was not the last murder. On April 10th of 1985, um, one of his, it, it was one of his old, like, roommates. Like, one of the people he took in that was actually, like, paying him to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this 20-year-old man named Robert Shelton. And so this man had been, like, staying with him in the past and, like, shows up one day asking if he can, like, stay again for, like, just a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though like Sheldon had always been responsible about paying his rent, like the money had never been an issue. Uh, Bobbert still said that he was in inconvenience. What a fuck. Fucking kidding. Oh my God. And even though he didn't like want to sleep with him, like he was pretty open about like, I did not find this man physically attractive. Um, but he came home one day. Well, literally two days later, April 12th, and he got annoyed that Sheldon was on the couch, like, intoxicated, like he had drank a lot. Mm -hmm. And because he was mad about this, he decided to drug him and hold him captive. Jesus. And he later wrote, like, in his book and stuff that he didn't actually, like, he didn't have any malice towards Sheldon. He wasn't mad at him. He didn't really, like have any bad feelings towards him he just took him as someone that he could and i quote express some of the anger and frustration that i had towards other people on didn't we have another case where somebody said the exact same fucking thing Mm -hmm. i hate it i hate everything about it but You're really gonna hate what comes next. Uh, why you do this to me? So this is revenge for the toy box killer tapes, isn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, I hate you. So Sheldon was drugged, of course, um, and he was held captive in the second floor bedroom for three days. Oh, jeez. Um, During this time period, he was tortured in many different ways. Um, He put drain cleaner in his left eye. He inserted needles underneath his fingertips. No, no, you know I hate fingers. mm -hmm. Oh, no. He tied his wrists with piano wire with the intention of permanently damaging the nerves in his hands so he wouldn't be able to use his hands anymore. Like the tuning strings on a piano? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that are, no. like, really fucking sharp. Nope. 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 And he also filled his ears with caulk. Like? Like caulk to, like, build your house with. I I wasn't sure what, if there was an L or not, and I was like, I'm Nope. Yep. The stuff you build your house with. He, he filled his ears with it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Um, so April 15th, you know, three days he's been captive. Um, a workman came to do some work on the roof um, that they had, like, scheduled previously. And uh, Bobbert decided to suffocate Sheldon by putting a sack over his head that he tied with rope. He ended up dissecting Sheldon's body in the third floor bathroom of the house. 
So skipping ahead to the next June. So Bobbert finds a man named Mark Wallace um, who he only like sort of kind of knew like this dude helped him with like yard work like one time. So like he was not very familiar with this guy, but like just sort of kind of knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a really, really bad thunderstorm. And this guy happened to be like in the area and like needed shelter from the thunderstorm and ended up like kind of taking cover in Bobbert's like shed. Um, so he finds them in there and he invites Mark inside and he so like Mark was very stressed and he could see like visibly that he was really stressed out. So he offered to inject him with chlorpromazine saying like, oh, this will calm you down. This will get rid of your nerves like it'll fix everything. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, this guy's like, yeah, run it like fucking run it (laughs) it. i would love to feel better (laughs) um but unfortunately bobbert decided he wanted to keep him instead so injected him with more of it than he should have oh good so he was once again carried to the second floor bedroom um he only made it about a day um he had to go through uh plenty Plenty, plenty of things in that day, though. Unfortunately, he had um, alligator clips attached to his nipples, which he, like, they sent electric shocks through. Jesus. Um, At this point, he, like, falls unconscious, of course, because that's so much for your body to handle. Um, And then... Bobbert started sticking hypodermic needles into muscles, certain muscles, into his back. Uh, Really just kind of like playing acupuncture, sort of, and like seeing what he could do. Um, But the combination of like the drugs and the gag and like his body going through so much shock that he ended up passing away. Yeah, um, strangely enough. Yeah, so Berdella ended up writing down that he passed away about 7 p.m. on June 23rd. September 26, 1985, Berdella gets a phone call from a friend of his named James Ferris. Mm-hmm. Um, James Ferris hits him up, asks him if he can come over and stay for a little while. And Berdella says yes. Bobbert is happy to say yes because literally from that phone conversation he's already like I'm going to kidnap this man like I'm definitely going to kidnap this man okay and even though he tortured his first three victims Bobbert said that this was the first person he intentionally picked out to torture oh so good that guy does not have very good luck Anyways, um, so he, um, oops, sorry, I accidentally skipped over my notes. Oh, you're fine. He also said during this time, too, that the first three victims, he stopped, like, there was times where he wouldn't even write down all of the abuse, because he just didn't think that they were going to survive. So, like, he didn't even bother to write it down. So, what a classy man. Great. Love that. 
So anyways, he goes and picks up James, drugs him with a bunch of crushed tranquilizers that he put in his food, and then he ends up tying him to the bed before torturing him for 27 hours. Um, this Some of this torture included... Uh, continuous shocks of 7,700 volt to his shoulders and his testicles for up to five minutes at a time. Mm. I hate it. Genuinely, I, I don't know how he didn't die right there. Yeah, seriously. Like, like you would have to be incredibly strong. He also did a makeshift acupuncture with hypodermic needles to the neck and genitals Mm, um obviously at this point like james was like barely conscious and like barely aware um one is but this did not stop berdella um he continued both the physical and sexual assaults um until he noted in his little book um that Ferris was unable to sit up for more than 10 to 15 seconds. Um, The next entry after that just said, very delayed breathing. And then the one after that... (sighs) I hate this. He put in a note that Ferris had died. But do you want to know how he put in the note that Ferris had died? No, but you're going to tell me anyway. (laughs) He just wrote 86. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, you've never worked in a restaurant, have you? No. Uh, 86, if you 86 something. So, like, if I was like, hey, can I get a salad and a spaghetti? And then I came back to you and I was like, 86 the spaghetti. It means, like, throw it away. Like, get get rid of it. I don't want it. Fucking stop. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate it. So, moving on, because there are more. There are... We are not done. We are not done at all. I'm so sorry. This is going to be a long fucking episode. Are you sorry? Because I feel like you're not. No, I'm not. I'm not that sorry. (laughs) So, the next victim was Todd Stoops. He was 23... And he was uh, working as a male prostitute and also was a pretty bad drug addict at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his wife had lived with Berdella like a couple of times, like for just like short little periods of time in 1984. Um, so after they moved out the second time, he didn't see them for like a while, for like two years. And then Bobber accidentally runs into him at kansas city's liberty memorial park uh june 17th of 1986 so as soon as he sees him he offers him to come over for lunch and then stoops was like talking about how he needed some money to buy drugs and he was like well come over and have lunch and also i'll pay you to fuck me what that Um, what (laughs) yeah yeah Um, so he (laughs) made it clear to police later on that he was 
in his words, extremely, extremely physically attracted to Todd. Um, And Todd ended up being held captive for two weeks before he passed away. Um, And his goal, Bobbert's goal in keeping him for two weeks, well, he actually wanted to keep him longer than two weeks, but two weeks is what it ended up being, um, was that he wanted to make him into a sex slave, a la Jeffrey Dahmer. (sighs) Um, So some of the things he did to try to reach this end goal was he used electrical shocks into his eyeballs ah nope nope you've to try to blind him you already crossed my fingernail line and now you're crossing my eyeball line and i don't appreciate it i what is our safe word is it pineapple pineapple (laughs) um he also i don't injected drain cleaner into his larynx to try to silence his screaming. That's not how any of that works. No, it's not. But did he try? Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, I'm not over the. I literally have goosebumps because I'm thinking about the eyeball thing and I hate it. I hate it. I don't do eyeballs in humans. I don't do eyeballs at work. I fucking hate when we have a proptosis come in because I think it's the most distilled. <laughs> Yeah, I can't do eyeballs, and you know I can't do needles. So, like, the the thought of someone stabbing a needle through the center of my throat to inject me with drain cleaner is, like, just as bad. I hate everything about it. Also, uh, proptosis, for anybody who doesn't speak medical jargon, um, is when your dog's eye, usually chihuahuas, shih tzus, any of those, like, little itty-bitty high-strung breeds, um, pops out. Uh, like just the whole thing just goes um, and then we have to do what's called an enucleation and we just back in and I hate I hate the whole thing I hate everything about it yeah zero out of ten that wasn't really a palate cleanser I think that made everything worse I'm so sorry <laughs> oh it, it gets worse from here uh, it genuinely gets worse from here Jesus Christ so, during the second week of being kidnapped, Todd asked him for a soft drink and a sandwich, mm-hmm. and Bobbert says no, and Todd starts crying. Understandably. Uh, yeah. The fact that he hadn't been crying more than this is remarkable. I think I would also start crying. And this upset Burdella. And um, on June 27th, he was sexually assaulting Todd when he ruptured his anal wall with his fist. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so after this, he and this is in the heaviest quotation marks i can manage he felt bad and tried to feed him ice cream and soup um but at that point he wasn't able to keep anything down obviously oh my fucking god 
And by the final day of his captivity, um, Berdella wrote down that Stoops was so weak that he was unable to breathe in a sitting position. And yeah. on July 1st, he ended up passing away, which they later found out was because of septic shock from the rupture that obviously was not treated. Crazy how that fucking works. Yeah. So they they just keep coming and they don't stop coming. Let me fucking tell you. Okay. Let's <laughs> keep going. Why is there more? There's more. Can there not be? Uh, luckily, we only have two more. Okay. Yay. Okay. All right. Spring of 1987. He becomes friends with 20-year-old Larry Wayne Pearson. Um, so Pearson came into the antique shop and him and... God, I always find the weirdest shit. Him and uh, Berdella get into a conversation where Pearson tells him that he used to be interested in witchcraft and wizardry. Are you fucking Harry Potter? Witchcraft and wizardry? Yep. So they hit it off right, about this, witchcraft and wizardry. Is this Dungeon and Dragons era? Is that about that time? <laughs> um. So a little bit after this, like I said, they became friends. Um. And Pearson ends up temporarily staying with him. And like, instead of paying rent, like he was like cleaning the house, like as payment. Um, so Berdella said that he didn't originally attempt, like, he wasn't planning to kidnap this guy, like, at all. Um, but June 23rd, he ended up having to, uh, bail Pearson out of jail. And then he, like, so he bails Pearson out of jail for robbery. And when he bails Pearson out of jail, Pearson makes a joke about how he has been robbing gay men. In Wichita. I hate everything about that sidebar. It might very well have been a D&D reference because the first one was released in 1974. Oh, God. I hate it. So they might have just been a bunch of fucking nerds. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. I read ahead for a second and my stomach <laughs> turned. Oh, Anyways. No. So uh, obviously... You know, Bertel is gay. He mm -hmm. was not happy that this man was robbing gay people. Mm -hmm. um, so Pearson gets drunk, uh, egged on, obviously. Um, and then he injects him with chlorpromazine. I try to say that too fast. I couldn't say it that quickly. Chlorpromazine. Jesus. Didn't, didn't roll off the tongue like no. as well as I hoped it would. No, chlorpromazine um, is not a, a good one. <laughs> Um, and he moved him down to the basement um, where he tied both of his hands above his head and then like tied him to like a like a like a brick like column. Okay. Like I don't I don't know. Yeah, the like word the little I'm support looking. columns. Like, that are yeah, like a support column. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, you know, ties his hands up above his head to like a hook up above him. So he then injects his larynx with drain cleaner because apparently we liked that the first time that we did that. I don't understand. Um, and then he 
brought down the electrical transformer. Um, so according to Berdella, Pearson was actually the most cooperative victim he ever had. Oh, um, and it didn't take too long. It took about five days for him to like completely submit. So he had been tortured with electrical shocks. Um, Berdella had also broken a bunch of his bones in his hand, um, hitting him with an iron rod in the hand. Um, he also was sexually assaulting him during this whole time. I feel like him and David Parker would be the best of friends. Best friends. Best, best of friends. fucking friends. Um, so, but person, person, Pearson so like earned his trust at this point that he ends up moving Pearson upstairs to the second floor. And he told them, like, he told him, if, you know, if you keep cooperating and you keep just, like, kind of letting this shit happen to you, Mm -hmm. then I won't, like, uh, you know, I won't do so much bad shit to you. Like, I'll scale it back. Yeah. Like, I'll make it easier on you. Um, So, in the next six weeks of his captivity, he, Pearson ended up, like, training himself to, like, literally sleep without moving a muscle. Mm-hmm. So like so he literally would not even like twitch a muscle out of place that Berdella could get ex- like upset about. Jesus. This lasts for about 6 weeks. And after 6 weeks he gets understandably desperate. And um Berdella is forcing him to perform oral things. Um and Pearson bites the fuck out of him like like bites him real real hard in a real real painful spot so obviously uh Berdella was not crazy about this um and ends up beating him into unconsciousness with a literal tree branch oh and I don't know what it is with me and tree branches but yeah. Why, Here we are. Why do you always find the tree branches? Like, why? I don't know, but somehow we are back here again. <laughs> he ends up suffocating him with a bag th- that he ties around his throat. And oh. then he drives himself to the hospital to get treated for this bite wound. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to pass off, like, a human bite wound at an ER, but, like, go off. Yeah. Like, how the fuck do you even explain that without, like, raising a bunch of suspicions? Right? But you know what? It didn't. It didn't raise any suspicions. Are you shitting me? How- no. Nope. You're telling me this man, dead ass, went to an ER and mm-hmm. was like, I have a bite. And they were like, okay. Mm-hmm. No problem. Yep. Um. um so later on. Uh, Pearson's body was found dismembered in the basement and his head was stored in a plastic bag inside of his freezer before Bobber ended up burying him in the backyard. Oh, okay. Um, so now we are on our final victim. Mm-hmm. So at 1 a.m. on March 29th of 1988, he abducts his last victim, which was a 22-year-old male prostitute named Christopher Bryson. 
Hmm. Um, he lured him to his house for prostitute activities. <laughs> um, <laughs> and once he got him inside, he knocked him unconscious with an iron bar. Jesus. Um, tied him to the bed. Who's surprised? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, tortured him again. Uh, most of the, you know, same stuff he did for the other ones. Um, the only thing he really did, like, differently in this case was that he swabbed his eyes with ammonia. <laughs> Why? Do you know, want to know what he said to him while he was doing that? What? The only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. <sighs> Can we just leave people's eyeballs alone? I mean, like, just don't kill people, but like, if just leave with the eyeballs alone. I have a couple more fun little quotes from this time period. Um, another thing he said to him, and I quote, You did not choose to be here, but you are. For you to survive being here and for you to, you know, make it, it could either be rough or it could be easy. If I grow to like you and to trust you, then I could do special things for you, such as buy you cigarettes, pick up a movie on the way home from work, and so forth. Don't try to fight me or you'll just get more of what you had earlier. You see, what you got is nothing compared to what you can have. Are you sure you're not just reading the Toy Box Killer transcripts? Even the cadence sounds the same. Like, isn't it fucking crazy? Like, it literally, like, they have, like, a similar cadence and everything. Yeah, like, the... <sighs> so, um, after several days, uh, Berdella tells Bryson that he begins to trust him. Um, he said he was willing to discuss the physical abuse and torture and he was willing to you know stop certain things if there were certain things that Bryson hated more than others mm -hmm. um, but he did make it very clear that there would be no negotiation regarding the sexual abuse that that mm -hmm. was going to continue no matter what I hate that I hate everything and about that he ended this little conversation by saying I've gotten this far with other people before and they're dead now because of the mistakes they've made. So on the third day of his capture, um, he so Bryson convinced him into establishing this like daily time where he would tie his hands in front of him instead of like to the bed, like above his head kind of a thing. So he said that like this was like restri like restricting circulation um and you know like his arms were falling asleep. So he got him to tie his arms in front of him and then he also convinced him to leave a TV on. Mm -hmm. And he would put the remote like in between his legs. Oh. So obviously he wanted to fucking escape. He didn't want to fucking be there the next day he actually ends up getting out of his restraints because he burnt through them using a book of matches that he had left there on accident oh, fuck yeah get it so he then jumped from a second floor window wearing nothing but a dog collar and he ended up actually breaking his foot doing this Are you f he, he escaped wearing nothing but a dog collar 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Is this not sounding fucking familiar? This is it literally ah. happens in the toy box killer. Was Except it? it's more successful this time. Wasn't David Parker Ray like in the nineties? Yes. So honestly, like I think he might have taken a lot of inspiration from this. Yeah, it seems like it because like it, ugh, there's too many similar details. Yeah. So luckily for him, this worked out better um, because he there was a meter reader like across the street, and he like ran at this dude, being like, "Please call the cops! Please call the cops!" They called the fucking cops. Like the meter reader brings like Bryson inside actually the house he was reading the meter for. They like knock on the door and like get him inside and like call the police and everything. The police officers come. He tells them everything that had happened. Um, You know, he explains it all to them. And it was like very obvious that he's telling the fucking truth. He's naked. He has a dog collar. His foot's broken. He's covered in like his eyes are all fucked up. His throat's fucked up. His body's all fucked up all over the place. Like it was obvious, obvious that he was not lying. Yeah. Um, so two of the officers were told to stay and like watch the pri- like the property. Mm-hmm. And then the other two drove Bryson to the Menorah Medical Center, um, where he could like be treated. And then at the same time, they're kind of like calling in for a warrant and shit. So obviously, you know, once he is like treated, they take him to the police department. He, you know, gives them the whole big detail of everything that happened. Um, he also mentions that um, Bobbert showed him Polaroid pictures of dead bodies. So oh. the other the other victims, he had taken pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that afternoon, he ended up getting arrested. Um, the officers came, tried to get him to allow them inside the home. He obviously said no. They got a search warrant. Um, they found a lot of evidence uh they found like the burnt ropes still attached to the bed they found the transformer they found syringes drugs like the eye the stuff for the eyeballs iron pipes ropes belts like obviously tons of shit yeah um he got got (laughs) they also noticed that the posts on the bed had been extremely worn down from how much people had been like struggling against them Mm mm-hmm they also found a human skull inside the closet on the second floor and a partially de- decomposed human head in the backyard. They found several human vertebrae scarred by hacksaw and knife marks in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, human teeth stored in envelopes. Mm-hmm. Um they found a chainsaw, a hacksaw, and a miter saw that were, like, covered in blood, flesh, hair. Uh, the whole floor of the basement and, like, these barrels and shit that, that was downstairs were all, like, covered in blood. They also recovered 334 Polaroid pictures and 34, like, bigger snapshots from, like, a different camera of... The, the men that he killed, obviously. And these men also included pictures of Christopher Bryson. So, like, it even more corroborated his story. Not like they didn't believe him at this point. Um, a lot of the pictures had been taken, like, as they were being tortured. They also found, you know, more restraints, porn, like... A, like they, oh, they also found the, um, the logs 
like with all of the stuff that he did. Um, and then they also found items belonging to Jerry Howell and James Ferris as well. Jesus. So they had like a whole task force for this bitch. There was 12 of them. Yeah. Dealing with all of this. Not surprising. Kind of reminds me a lot of like the Gacy investigation. Yeah. So they, you know, kind of went through all the missing persons and then like we're trying to find who matched up with the photos and everything. Um, he refused to talk without a lawyer. Um, so a lot of that they kind of had to do through third party people. So like Paul identified his son, unfortunately, from a picture of him hanging upside down in the basement, <sighs> which is just horrific. Um, James Ferris's wife had to identify him um, from photos, some of them after he was deceased. Um, and then they ended up <laughs> with this is the only thing that's kind of like, I mean, I get why they did it, but it's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, they ended up having Berdella pose nude because they wanted to be able to match up the parts of his body to the photos because there was like photos where like you know his body was in it um, um so they ended up making him like redo the poses like that... nude and like taking photos of him so they could like co- like prove that it was him that um doesn't sound emotionally scarring at all yeah, so they, you know, he had written down all these people's, like, names and shit, too. So, like, and the names of other people he had, like, sexually assaulted. Um, so they ended up, tra- like, chasing down some of those people. Um, mm-hmm. And they traced down this one guy specifically named Freddie Kellogg, who told them that, like, he had this bad, like, Berdella was known for, like, taking in these young kids and then, like, drugging them and, like, having sex with them. And, like, yeah, it was a whole big thing. And basically, he was like, yeah, we kind of all are not surprised by this. Like, he was a giant scumbag. Um, But luckily, on top of that, Kellogg also was able to identify Todd Stoops, Robert Sheldon, and Larry Pearson. So he kind of brought the rest of the case to the close. Like, he was able to identify the rest of them. I mean, that's good and then this is also when they connect that he finds out like the investigators find out that he had filed an assault report from the hospital room when he got his uh uh, pee pee bit in and he had literally told them literally told them larry pearson did this like why why would you ever need what a fucking idiot so like they had him just about as fucking dead to rights as you could ever have somebody he was initially charged with um one count of felonious restraint one count of assault and seven counts of forcible sodomy um but this was like as they were like compiling the case for like all of the murders so that was just like the initial things um, and he was held um, with a $500,000 bail, uh, which in today's money is like $1.3 million. Jeez. 
Um, so they ended up positively identifying the rest of the bodies. Um, and th- that kind of gave them the last like bit that they needed to be able to try him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was indicted for the murder of Larry Pearson, uh, where he pleaded guilty. And sorry, I'm just trying to find where I wrote how long he served. Oh, yeah, he got um, life without parole. And then he also got another life without parole for his attacks across, uh, across against Christopher Bryson. Good. He did plead not guilty to the other five murder charges. But he fuck yourself, dude. Yeah, he ended up doing a plea bargain anyways because he wanted to avoid the death penalty. So this is where he went through and he like one of the conditions of his plea bargain is he went through and like in graphic detail and like described everything that happened, which is why we know that in the logs are why we know so much about what happened. And those are some court transcripts I will not be reading. (laughs) Yeah, nope. I'm good. I'm, I'm usually good. I'm all about those court transcripts, but I'm I'm good on this one. I'm good. December nineteenth of nineteen eighty eight, he formally waived his rights to be tried for any of the outstanding murder charges, um, under the condition that he would be convicted of first degree murder for Robert Shelton as well, and then four counts of second degree murder. He did end up pleading guilty to all of these charges, um, and this was like a closed closed courthouse they didn't let any of the like public in there was like a couple of news reporters and family members of the victims and that was it i mean in all fairness like that's probably for the best because do you know how many people would have like fainted or thrown up hearing the details yeah no i completely agree with that um and so the judge ended up giving him five more concurrent life sentences and he like obviously could never get parole good so he ended up doing some interviews with a missouri-based television station Mm -hmm. and he also would like write to pen pals quite a lot and for all of these people he very much like (laughs) he tried to portray himself as like a good guy who just like made some mistakes put your fucking fedora away dude you're not a good guy he literally said that he'd been demonized unfairly by the media. Bruh. Like, it was kind of funny, though, because, like, obviously I don't fucking agree with that. Like, no, you are a piece of shit. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't do anything to you. Um, But it is funny because he did say that the police were fucking stupid. And he was like, well, if the police would have been good, then I would have been caught after the first murder. Bro, what? Yeah, so that's a wild stance to take, but okay. This dude can Uh, literally take his fucking narcissist personality and shove it up his ass. He also, which of this will be important in a second, um, he also complained a lot about like the conditions at the prison. Um, He also wrote... um, a bunch of letters kind of to the public talking about how like the prison officials like knew that he had high blood pressure problems, but they weren't giving him his medication. Good. So he 
you know, obviously was upset about this. Um, but October 8th of 1992 at 2 p.m., he started complaining of heart pains and he was taken to the infirmary. Um, they determined that his he was in the middle of, you know, having heart issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so they called an ambulance. He was taken to a hospital in Columbia, Missouri, and he was pronounced dead from a heart attack at 3.55 p.m. at 43 years old. Isn't that literally how David Parker Ray died, too? Was mm-hmm. it a heart attack? And it's also how his dad died at 39. So apparently he did not inherit good genes. I just like I don't I don't care about his dad. I just can't get over like the literal like side by side exactly the same fucking case. Isn't it so fucking weird? Like down to their last victim escaping with a dog collar on their neck and them dying of a heart attack in prison. Yeah, it's fucking bizarre. Like, what Do you want to know what the judge said when he found out what happened? Good. <laughs> he said, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> Get it, judge. Um, so he, while he was in prison, he was diagnosed with a depressive personality disorder and sexual sadism, hmm. um, which was definitely proven because even though he said like the media demonized me, blah blah blah, oh, dude, you demonized um, yourself with your. Actions. He never, ex- yeah, he never expressed any remorse at any point, and even at the very last interview, right before he died, he still was referring to his victims as play toys. <laughs> so, moving on from that. Uh, he's dead. Fuck that man. Good. Um, so November of 1988, all of his shit, his house, his furniture, his antiques, his business, all of that stuff was put in auction. Um, you know, raised a good amount of money. Um, his house was purchased in December of 1988, but at this point it's been destroyed. So. Yeah. And then, um, there was a movie made in 2009 called Birdella that was about him. So I kind of want to watch that movie. I'm not going to lie to you. I wonder if it's on anything. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Do you hate me now? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I expected that. Do you remember... Um... How to Lose a Guy in 10 ga- Days. Yes. Um, the like, I love you, but I don't have to like you right now. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at. But yeah, it's 100 degrees in this house, and I don't ever want to think about this again. Yeah. And I think I am also going to go bleach my eyes um, after this, because that feels necessary after having to read all of the things that I just read. Yeah, I... Stay spooky, but just not, not this. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those ones where it, what what do you pinpoint? I can't. There, there just, is nothing to pinpoint. This is not this, not this spooky. Yeah, not this. Just not this. All all together, 
not this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, follow us on all of the things. Uh, you can find the links to anything and everything your heart could ever desire on our Beacons page. Uh, we put it in one convenient, easy place for you. Um, and I'm I'm gonna let Sierra go before she uh she murders me because I think it it might be coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna murder you. I'm just gonna inconvenient curse you. <laughs> My life well, is cursed enough. I don't need that. <laughs> I was gonna say like you deal with inconvenience the worst. God, I really fucking do though. And You're so, not like, wrong. I don't, I don't need to murder you. I just need to curse you with minor inconveniences, and then you'll just take care of it yourself. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, keep it spooky. <laughs>